chefs at Johnson & Wales, as well as thousands of chefs around the globe, will tell you that the hottest name in hand-forged Japanese-style knives at an affordable price is Forged to Table. The company was founded in 2017 by Johnson & Wales alum Noah Rosen when he was still a student. He was dedicated to the pursuit of the perfect knife for culinary students, working chefs, and home cooks alike. His guiding motto was and is uncompromising quality at a fair price. Though Noah is no longer a student, he is still dedicated to that same pursuit. His flagship blade, the 8-inch Gyoto Chef's Knife, has developed a cult following among kitchen professionals and home cooks across the country. Matt, I know you love Forged to Table. What are you loving right now? All right, so I'm actually working on a video that you can find at ForgedToTable.com, and it's me sharpening not one of Forged to Table's knives, because honestly, you don't need to sharpen them. It's me sharpening one of those POS knives that I probably bought and shouldn't have, but I'm using the Forged to Table stone, and I will tell you that it is so easy to use. I know sharpening uh, knives can be something that a lot of young aspiring culinarians, home cooks can, can struggle with the right angle, how many uh, passes on each side. Mm-hmm. Um, this stone has a guide. It has an easy refresh. You soak it in water and within five minutes, it's, it's, it's back in good shape. It's got a nice little holder to put everything away. Plus it's nice and stable on the counter. Uh, it is the best stone that I've owned um, for my home. Um, you know, it's not like a tri-stone that you see in a restaurant, but it's super right. appropriate for travel or anything that sort of a home cook would use. Someone who really wants to practice a lot of their sharpening in maybe a confined space. It is perfect for that. So I, uh, I highly recommend picking up their sharpening stone. And if anyone wants to pick it up, they can go to forgetotable.com and being a listener of this pod, they can enter the code culinary now, all one word, and they'll receive 15% off their purchase. That's only at their website, forgedtotable.com. Their knives are also available, though, in the Jaywoo Student Store, but you don't get the discount. So maybe check it out online if you want to get that sharpening stone and get a 15% discount. I mean, look, people, buy online. It's easier. It's the 21st century. You know, who goes to a store? Who goes to a store anymore? Buy online. Exactly. Save some money. While you're online, be sure to follow at Forge to Table on Instagram for great recipes from the Forge to Table Test Kitchen, and it'll keep you in the loop on any exciting new knives, kitchen gear. They do giveaways, all of their products. You can find that at Forge to Table on Instagram. And Forge to Table is proud to support the development of new and aspiring cooks and chefs everywhere and to join in the effort to create a better industry for us all. And that's one of the reasons we love them here at the pod. Little white pills and sweet red wine, and we know they're your weapon of choice. A couple vices and a vagabond, now you know for just one voice. I'm begging, please, can you help me, sir? The last thing you supposedly said. You're better off knowing what you are before you know it, you wind up dead. Welcome, everyone, to the Culinary Now podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Jamie. And today on the pod, we are joined by executive chef Andy Texera of Newport Vineyards. Uh, Andy 
has been in the industry forever, literally born in a kitchen, if you ask him. He trained under amazing chefs like Jasper White, and he joined the Newport team, a Newport Vineyards team in 2016, and really led this revolution at the vineyard to create a truly scratch, truly farm-to-table kitchen. Um, and he's been awarded the Edible Roadie 2020 Local Hero Award. He is an active uh, farm-to-table chef. He makes 1,000% of his menu from scratch, and we are so happy to have him join us on the pod. Today, we're joined by Chef Andy Texera, the executive chef at Newport Vineyards. Chef, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Now, Chef Jamie and I have both known you for, for some time now, and we're, we've been sort of funneling students your way, but we're just so honored that you took the time to join us. And I, I want to start us off by just, you know, hoping that you'll talk to us a little bit about your journey. Like, how did you get to where you are today? Like, sort of what was your upbringing? I know in your bio, it says you started working in kitchens at a very young age. Can you talk a little bit about that and how it paved the way for you to land at Newport Vineyards? Absolutely. Um, so I am a fourth generation chef. I pretty much was born into this industry. I My father had a bakery and a diner and I would go at um, five, five years old to the bakery, tying knot rolls, egg washing. And, you know, it's always just been a thing for me. Even when I went to Volk Tech, I took industrial maintenance because my mother was like, you know, culinary is not going to work for you. You're way ahead of that, but you need to know how to like fix and repair things. Like, and it's, I don't know how much money that has saved me, uh, <laughs> you know, taking that in the kitchen. It's true. Oh, it's true. Oh, you, you know, uh, little wiring and little, this little, that has helped so much, but yeah. And then when I was 16 and thought I knew everything, you know, my father said, well, you know, everything go out and figure it out. And so I started working for other people and, you know, was a pastry chef, was an assistant pastry chef for a little bit and jumped on the line and realized that I had all this great, you know, ability that was given to me, you know, and I didn't know I was good at it. I just could do it. And it took, you know, chefs that to mentor and say, you know, you, you have something special here. Don't go out and do drugs and party with line cooks. Come in and learn. And so that's what I was able to do. And I feel that Every step in my career has prepared me for Newport Vineyards. You know, I've worked in multiple unit places. I've worked in, you know, ultra fine dining. I've worked in, you know, scratch, you know, kind of scratch kitchens, you know, where we were making everything, but we weren't curing our own meat and butchering, but we were still cooking everything, you know, with the bake shop. And uh, I mean, I got to work for Jasper White. Um which was, you know, a great experience for a good solid year. Uh, and then I've had a lot of multiple unit jobs, which has prepared me for Newport Vineyards too, because this place is a monster that we have here. Uh, and it's been, I guess, as every cook dreams, you know, like we all say we're constantly learning, but I've been learning this trade literally since I was five years old and I'm still picking up stuff. Chef, you mentioned something about a scratch kitchen in there. And I know that at Newport Vineyards, you guys are a scratch kitchen. Can you talk about your decision to be a 100% scratch kitchen? Because I think a lot of people could look at that and say, yeah, some things from scratch are great, but I'm sure that's costing more money than buying, for instance, 
puff pastry already made versus making it from scratch. So can you talk about your decision to be a 100% scratch kitchen there? Well, yeah, it was, uh, so how I ended up at Newport Vineyards was Trisha Green found me through social media. Um, my wife had my resume on Indeed. She didn't like me working at the country club I was at, you know, of 10 years of working for, you know, a private club is pretty abusive, but it's a good, you know, it's a good job. And Trisha found me through social media and I came in to look at the place and she said she wanted to have this farm to table scratch restaurant. And I took that real literal uh, and took the challenge of as a Boston chef, you know, a Massachusetts chef coming into Rhode Island, coming into the Newport area. I thought, you know, what was going to set us apart from everybody. And it was farm to table, a hundred percent scratch. Let's, try to make everything that we possibly can anything that comes in a bag box or a can a chef put there at one point so let's make it and it's been a blast recreating the craziest stuff like i bet we i had colleen my pastry chef we did a throwback brunch and we made cookie crisp cereal just because I wanted like you know like you know your childhood throwback a little bowl of cookie crisp a little pitcher of milk so she like figured out and rolled out cookie dough and punched out these little and, you know, and it's just one of those things that we just really have fun with. And, you know, being farm to table, you know, a farm driven, you have to be scratch if you're going to, you know, go all in. And the way it works for us is because we're a hundred percent scratch, it actually works really well. You can't be half and half because like you said, Jamie, you know, when you get into like puff pastry and stuff like that we can afford to have some higher ticket cost items because we make the bread, you know, like bread is a huge, you know, cost in a lot of restaurants and we're making every, you know, and using every scrap, making our own breadcrumbs, you know, we extrude our own pasta. So even for our Mac and cheese, but you know, I can make a 14 kilo batch of pasta for $7, you know, so that's, that's where the cost savings are, you know, so it allows you to, to do the other things. Chef, do you think that just maybe by, by accident, by doing this hundred percent scratch, because I think that, again, it's one of those things we want to focus on. It's a lot of people say they're a scratch kitchen, but they're still buying ketchup or they're still buying puff pastry or they're not making their bread or that there's these small little pockets on their menus that they buy because of whatever cost savings or just, you know, lack of labor. Staffing is brutal. Yeah, staffing, especially coming out of the pandemic and where we are now, it's 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 near impossible. I know so many restaurants that have like red flags on their door saying immediate help needed. Do you think by accident, by creating this 100% scratch kitchen, you actually opened up this new door of learning for you as a chef? Oh my God, yes. It's, it's the most rewarding. I mean, I have a chef's dream job. It's so rewarding when we figure out things. Or when we make something that we weren't intentionally making and you, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, this tastes like X, but there's no chemicals and everything in it. But we figured out, you know, like we reverse engineer a lot of stuff. Uh, we made Cool Ranch Doritos uh, last year because I just wanted some kind of fun tortilla chip and really messed around with all the different, you know, powders and stuff we could and dehydrating and came up with Cool Ranch Doritos. So it's totally kept me on my toes 
And it lets us bring a lot of stuff to the table, especially with the students, because they come to me with ideas and I'm like, all right, now you just got to figure out how to make that. You know, um, we do let them, you know, they'll say ketchup and we'll say we can we bring in Heinz as an ingredient, but not as the product, you know, but other than that, like we're, you know, it's, it's quite a challenge staying creative and, in but we learn constantly. You're constantly learning and opening new doors. So earlier you mentioned that you kind of consider yourself to have the chef dream job. And I guess depending on who the chef is, that might mean different things. But I know your operation and just, you know, from your bio alone, I mean, you are busy. Like there's a lot going on. There is multiple different um you know, extensions of the kitchen. You have a huge bake shop, you have catering, you have multi-restaurants, you have a brewery, you have a garden. How do you sort of tie, as like sort of the, the, the driver of the bus, how do you tie all those together and lead a team that, while maybe is working towards the same common goal, has definitely different priorities and, and different sort of customers, perhaps? How, how do you, what's the glue? What's the secret sauce there? Uh, we call it drinking the Kool-Aid. No, um, we do a good vetting process with our culinary staff. Um, you know, when we're, when we sit down and interview, I sit and talk with you for about an hour and tell you how hard this job is going to be and that this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. And we're going to work 12 hour shifts, but you find the people that are so into it. They're just blown away by the, you know, that we're going to make everything, um, you know, so the glue is, you know, the gel of the front of house too. like Trisha Green, you know, we're all pushing for the same way. The ownership, John and Paul, the two brothers that own the place, like, you know, they're just like, chef, go do your thing, you know, don't cost us money. And, you know, Trisha and the you know general manager, like everybody's pushing the same way. I've never worked anywhere where front of house is just as into the food as the back of house. Like they love to tell the story of the food just as much as we do. So it's working. You know, we caught something in a bottle here on this property and people are really into it. And we're cooking for our audience. So there's no pretension. You know, a lot of days we're making burgers and chicken sandwiches and, you know, pretzels for the brewery crowd. But it lets us relax and give someone the best pretzel or chicken sandwich or a grilled cheese and blow their mind with that. So that keeps all the cooks engaged because the pressure comes off a little bit. Like just make a really good sandwich right now. I'm glad you mentioned that because I know that there's a lot of options when people come to the vineyard for how they want to dine or have an experience with, with the things that you're making either with the grapes or if you're brewing something. So can you talk a little bit about the options that people have when they're looking for a whole experience of like the food and the beverage when they come? You know, it, it and that's another thing that, you know, it's an evolution for us, um, you know, as our guests come and change, you know, we have the brewery. So that's like a casual dining, uh, not quick serve, but just real casual brewery food. A lot of fun, a lot of, you know, you know, tongue in cheek dishes uh, right now. Um, you know, we, we do the boo board, which Colleen is putting out, which is, a, you know, all these little, you know, desserts of 
Halloween treats. Um, we just, you know, we do barbecue. We play with everything in the brewery. Then we have, you know, upstairs in our overlook, which used to be bricks and the pandemic kind of gave away bricks. And now we're doing this overlook where we're open a couple days a week. And we, that's where we can break out and do a little bit of our, you know, tighter techniques, a little bit more a la minute cooking, a little bit, uh, more plating. And that keeps, you know, the kids engaged. And then we have the outside, which is the party. That's the weekends. Everybody comes in, does wine tastings, beer tastings, flights. And then we have a cookout out there because what would you want when you're outside in the summer? You know, think of like everybody's backyard cookout. And that's how we treat it is that we have burgers and, you know, homemade hot dogs and cool wings. And we do sangria slush and froze pops and, you know, and it's put all your own toppings on. And we have, you know, pasta salad and potato salad and like just like really cool but stuff that you would have at a backyard cookout where you can have fun. And then we do corporate and weddings. We do 60 weddings this year. We do um, corporate events. We've done up to 800 people for Volvo. We do rehearsal dinners. We, I like to say, and I, you know, and it's been said around here that we just deliver memories to people. Uh, there's people that are celebrating the most important day of their life. There are people that are just coming to have great beers and snacks and catch up with friends. And we just try to figure out a way to give someone a, a memory every time they come here. That's awesome. Can you talk a little bit about how just within your time at the vineyard, things have changed? Like I know you mentioned that you used to have bricks, which was a, more of a, you know, I guess, higher end, tighter, you said earlier, tighter restaurant. Yeah. And, and you know, like a lot of things in the industry, COVID crushed it, right? I mean, there's just so many negative, there's some positives that came out of COVID for sure in the food business. It exposed a lot of potentially negative things that we want to fix, but there was also some collateral damage. And, and how has the restaurant changed just in your time there? Like it used to be one thing, now it's another. Do you think that's for the better? I mean, how how do you stay optimistic knowing that all this stuff has evolved even under your tenure. I think a restaurant, and one of the things I tell all my young chefs that come work for me is that a restaurant's a living, breathing thing. And if you don't move with it, it'll swallow you alive. I mean, we all know of chefs that are just get stagnant and never change their menu, never change their concept, dig in, and they end up losing their, their restaurant or their business or their job because you know, of our stubbornness and you have to have an open mind, especially here at the vineyard, because evolution is constant here. I mean, this place was built, everything inside is on wheels. We can change rooms and move bars and do everything. So coming into it, you had to be ready to, you know, to evolve. And when I got here, there were two kitchens wrapped in plastic and there was no brewery. There was just the upscale restaurant upstairs, which was bricks, which was like upscale cat, you know, it was like, you know, upscale, casual, right. you know, American, you know, fair, beautiful restaurant, absolutely beautiful restaurant. And we opened a cafe downstairs, which was, we were getting, when we opened the cafe in that first summer of 2016, we would get six tickets a minute. Like it was just mayhem. We would Whoa. just get destroyed, absolutely destroyed because it was all open. Like, or if there's no seats, we'll just order it to go and take it out in the vineyard. And we would just get destroyed. And so after that summer of battling, we had to figure it out and move along. And the owners came to us and said they were putting in a brewery. So now the cafe became a brew pub. 
which is way cool because I love playing in the beer, the brewery part. Um, I don't know anything about the science of brewing and I don't have to because we have an amazing brewer, but I can have a crazy <laughs> idea and walk up to him and go, I really want to make this beer. And here's, you know, ginger and saffron go nuts. And I kind of want it to taste like this. And they go, yeah, chef, let's do it. And they, you know, come out with this really cool, like, you know, saffron ginger saison that we paired up with some fish, uh, you know, or, or awesome. yeah. So, and then, you know, so then we rolled that way. And the first year we were buying bread from Olga. I mean, we all know Olga. Mm-hmm. The best, the best. Yeah. You know, and I, I conned her into delivering out to me and, <laughs> you know, from Providence and we had the farmer's market on property. We were still so small, but just did a renovation and Olga would bring us bread and, you know, every, every day or every couple days for us. And, you know, but me being a baker at heart and, you know, growing up in a bakery, I knew I was going to, you know, put a bakery in. And so, you know, we find in pastry chefs and went through here and there. And then eventually we got Colleen and built the baking program. And then we had, so we had our brewery, we had the baking program. Then we launched events and we started getting the wedding business because, you know, that's where, you know, the real, you know, business can happen. And so then we started doing weddings and we expanded there and, you know, we were rolling really good. They were talking about James Beard for us and, you know, and some different things. And then the pandemic hit and we shut it down. And the great thing about being a farm driven restaurant that preserves a lot of the harvest is that we went down with a rather large inventory, which is pretty scary. You know, we're sitting a lot of money on the shelf, but we were able to uh, go into curbside and I was able to cook pretty much with just what I had stored up in my winter reserves. And so the pandemic, you know, shot us that, hey, now we can do curbside and takeout. And that became a thing. So to the, we still do it at holidays. Then, you know, staffing and this place is open air. We were blessed, you know, to be able to have this property, you know, during the pandemic because we could open the place up six feet, eight feet. I mean, we had 100 acres, you know, we, we could spread everyone out. So it played for us, you know, and, you know, um, I know a lot of people didn't fare as well and, we tried to help out as many, you know, chef friends as we could, but we angled and pivoted through the pandemic. And now just cause more staffing than anything, we kept the brewery restaurant going. We opened up this outdoor kitchen and built an outdoor like space because we couldn't handle the six tickets a minute. I went to the owners and I said, you're never going to believe this, but three kitchens isn't enough. I need a fourth to handle <laughs> the volume that we're doing. And so we put together like a little kiosk outside, you know, we bought a six foot propane grill and we, you know, put some low boy fridges out there and, you know, a propane, you know, stove. And we do some cool stuff out there on the weekends, like I said, and it, it's just constantly evolving. And, you know, we're talking about next year doing, you know, moving on to something else. Uh, we, we opened a butcher shop where we're, you know, we're not selling any of our butchery retail because it all goes to the restaurant, but. I had a friend who wasn't working, who was a master butcher. So I always wanted to start butchering whole animals. So the pandemic brought me my, my friend Paul to butcher. He's like an on-call butcher for us. So we bring in whole animals and break them down and record every ounce and presented that to the good meat project. And they were pretty blown away by what we're doing and how we're doing it. So we've evolved into that. Uh, we added some acreage to the vineyard 
a few years back and they were kind enough to let me have some of it. And we expanded the garden and have like a full-time grower now on staff. And we are right now planting three 100 by 100 plots and hoping to expand to six next year uh, with, you know, three greenhouses going. So if you give me a second and we kind of catch a, catch my breath, I'll open something else. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, in, that's incredible. I'm in awe of everything you, you just described. <laughs> it's, it's really incredible what you guys are doing out there. And my question at the beginning of this, but I think you kind of answered it was how do you stay inspired with everything that you're creating? And I think you answered it because you always have new concepts and new ideas coming, but do you have anything that really is your inspiration for when you're creating new dishes or new flavor combos or anything like that? Um, I feel that I get inspired by everything, but I, not to be like cliche or, you know, cheeky or anything, but like, Food is my life and I never stop thinking about it. My wife can cook me something for dinner and she's a great cook. And she'll even say, she goes, I can see you trying to figure out how you're going to turn this into something at the restaurant. (laughs) You know, I mean, my inspiration now at this age, you know, I'm going to be 48 this month. My, my biggest inspiration is teaching. You know, I mean, you guys can relate 100%. I'm getting to do it in the restaurant. Uh, But to be able to teach and to, you know, pass my craft on and, you know, to be able to get students from you guys that are so into it. And like, it's so much fun when you show them like the something that I've done, you know, for years and years, but they're so into it. And then, you know, and then have them think about it. And, you know, it's preaching create constantly to my entire staff is you know, I write the menu with holes in it for them to create. Like we do this stracciatella from Narragansett Creamery on on focaccia bread that we bake in the oven and the cooks can put their own topping on it. Whoever's working the station, come up with something great. We talk about it. They make it for me. I taste it or one of the sous chefs tastes it. And then they, so they get to own some of it. So when they're creating, it pushes me to create because, you know, our competitiveness and want to always show. So, you know, it's the staff that keeps me inspired. Right. You know, Chef, I mean, you talk, you do wait out so much. And I, like Jamie, I had a thought a long time ago and, and it, I had to like sort of frantically recreate what I was going to say. But <laughs> you, you, you said a word earlier and I did have a note here that I wanted to talk about because I know in, in 2020, like, you know, right in like the middle or beginning of COVID, like Edible Roadie threw out you this award that was the local hero, hero award. And everything that you just described is a testament of why you are deserving of that. I mean, you're an outstanding teacher. Like, you know, we always talk in the classroom that chefs are teachers, whether you're in a classroom or in a kitchen. I mean, you're always there to inspire the next generation and, and you're doing that tenfold. You're doing innovation like across the board you're continuously moving your life is food as you said and i think any true chef or anyone who has passion for this industry has that same ethos and it's sort of embedded in their dna but me personally like matt brett i'm always skeptical of awards and, and i think one of the things that covid exposed was you know like james beard like we all aspire for that award but it turns out that people were getting awards that 
there was a very f- small niche market that were actually even being considered for this. And the award you got, and this is a long question, I'm sorry, but the award you got, I feel is way more important than any Beard Award or World's 50 Best, which I know maybe has more notoriety, but I feel like the shit you're doing at the Vineyard matters more. I don't know what your thought is on that. Like, How do you feel chefs, like, why is what you're doing matters? That's my question. Well, the award part, I wanted the award. I really wanted the Beard Award because... And this was before I was like so much exposed about it. And one was because I wanted to be, you know, the kid from Taunton that didn't take any culinary school. Right. And had some chefs tell him when he was young that, you know, you're good. And had a couple say that you're a punk. And doing what we're doing here at the Vineyard, you know, is so unique that I thought the award would be the thing to launch it. You know, like I want to make this place iconic. I want this place to be in the same, you know, breath, maybe not as far as, you know, level of dining as like in at Little Washington or Stone Barn, but the concept and philosophy of how we cook is right there. And the way you get that is unfortunately with that notoriety. And, you know, and what triggered me on that on the beard one was when I was in Puerto Rico and we're at the Wyndham, you know, Rio Mar Hotel and it's. James, James Beard nominated and there's two chefs there and they're doing a pop-up. I'm like, and I said to my wife, I go, they didn't even win. Just nominated and they're getting flown around doing this. Imagine what this would do for me and my team if we won. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, that's, then, that's, 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 that's normal. Like, I feel like every chef has that desire, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent. It's like, this could catapult your business and it would be so good for the people around you to have that. Right. And then when I found out what it was really all about, we kind of, you know, we backed off. We did submit last year because it was a different way of doing it for James Beard. But the Edible Roadie one meant so much because the people voted. And that was put out to the people. And so the people of Rhode Island, as someone who came into Rhode Island in 2016, and I didn't know a single farmer. I didn't know anyone. And I agreed to do this whole project. I didn't know anybody. I didn't bring a cook with me. I didn't bring a sous chef with me. I just came here and did it. And to be recognized for the hard work, it meant so much. I mean, the pandemic kind of squashed how good it would have been. Uh, but it meant so much to, to be able to be recognized for that because, you know, growing up a chef and growing up you know, in a half Portuguese home. And my grandfather was a chef and a farmer. So some of my fondest memories are being, you know, in my grandfather's humongous garden and him picking vegetables or, you know, you know, butchering a chicken from his coop and just cooking it over the fire there and eating so pure. So when we get an opportunity to cook like that, you know, I have farmers bringing me unbelievable ingredients that I just picked still warm. I had an intern last week, last year, I'm sorry, last summer at the end of the season, stick his hand in a bucket of cherry tomatoes that just came in. He's like, chef, these are warm. I'm like, that's the sunshine you're feeling. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, that's, that's sunshine that you feel on those. That's what that is. And he was like, Oh my God, I've never thought of it that way. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and just so that's that's kind of where I'm at with the awards now. It's like if they come, they come. The awards are, you know, people, you know, my reservations sell out in record time or 
we're constantly busy and you know brides are sending emails on their anniversaries remembering the meal they had on their wedding two three four years ago that is all the awards now and that you know that's what really drives us is you know and me is making those memories for people i mean i i I, it's like it's almost like chills it's like that's really what matters it's like at the end of the day when you get through all the other stuff i mean it's nice to have like recognition but like the guest satisfaction ultimately is is why we we do this and why you're doing this Mm -hmm. is to make people happy and i think that your recognition of that is you know there's no question that that's why you're successful. Um, but I do have to ask, cause you did say, you, you know, you wanted to be this guy from Taunton, this punk from Taunton, as you, you know, you probably said that, uh, that got an award, but now you're a Rhode Islander. And I also am a Massachusetts person who works in Rhode Island and Jamie lives I in Massachusetts, too. <laughs> Massachusetts and works in Rhode Island. Is there anything that you feel Massachusetts you know, still has over Rhode Island, knowing all you know about the bounty of Rhode Island and the beautiful farms that you work with, which is still an amazing thing. Is there something you just, you got to give to Mass that, you know, Rhode Island is still aspiring to? Oh, geez. That's that's a put you on the spot question. Besides, I didn't realize I had an accent until I came and worked here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, everybody was like, your accent. And I was, what are you talking about? (laughs) But, uh, I mean, I haven't um, noticed it until just right that second. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, I, it's tough. We chowder that you know. Jasper taught me how to make chowder, and you know, we don't make a thick, you know, like so that like New England creamy. You know, it's such a fine line here in Rhode Island, depending on where you go. So I guess mass because right. we're all about the creamy chowder. Yeah. So I think that would be like the one thing. But I mean, the farms, I didn't realize what the farms were like till you know, coming to work here in Rhode Island and working, especially on Aquidneck Island alone. You know, it's, it's mind blowing how much I can uh, get. You know, the lists and I mean, we have cauliflower poutine on the menu this week because the cauliflower from Wishing Stone is amazing. You know, and the produce, even like the meat, I I get Red Devon steer that is grown right up the road from New England grass fed. That is some of the best beef I've ever used in my life. And I've had a five Wagyu and this stuff because Marty, the guy that grows it, knows everything that goes into those animals and how they're cared for and how they're processed. And I mean, our minds are blown every day with, you know, if you guys were here and I, you know, brought you in the walk-in or brought you and showed you produce that just came in, you'd be like, I know it's just a tomato, but look at it or smell it. Chef, I wish I was there. Yeah. You know, or, you know, the apples are starting to come in right now and they smell the smell of the apples when they come in and, you know, or when we harvested grapes off our vines, it's just the farm driven and the Massachusetts. I mean, we get some, we do get some good produce out of mass. There's some really good ones, but the Rhode Island farm scene is just for such a small uh, state, the, the little farms and produce so much great product, which is really, you know, so I guess there's no, you know, I guess Rhode Island has it over them. 
No, it's 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 a true statement. I mean, I I being in Rhode Island as long as I've been here working, I I can attest that for such a small place, it's such a big impact and such a big, you know, reputation of of great farms. So I, I think you're on the. I agree with you on the chowder, but I I think you're you're dead on the money that you know Rhode Island is competing. Well, chef, we are so grateful you took the time to chat with us today. Before we let you go, I do have a question. We have a lot of students that listen to our podcast. Are you hiring or looking for interns either on the sweet or savory side? And if so, how can students get in touch with you? We are always hiring, especially students. We have built this. One of my proudest things that I've built here is the intern program. Um, Colleen and I both taken interns. Now we have housing for interns. Um, We can house up to eight students every semester. Right on property here. And, you know, our intern program, you know, when they have the four kitchens, like a culinary intern comes in and they come in and have orientation and they get a knife skills evaluation immediately. That's the first thing they do for us is we do knife cuts. And it's not a test. It's I want to see your level of experience. And I can see a lot with just how they set up their tray for their knife, you know, cuts. I can see their organization. We see so much from this little demo that I hand them. And then I know where to place them. And they spend a month in each kitchen. And so we move them around. So, and we usually, I take the students that have no experience. I take the students that come to me and say, you're not going to hire me because I've never cooked before besides at school. And I go, okay, when do you want to start? Because they don't have any bad habits. They're not jaded from the industry of, what do you mean? I got 10 days to make bacon. Why can't I just open that box and lay some out? So... We take those kids in and then, and they get to move around. And if they don't know what kind of chef they want to be at the end, they know, wow, I really like brew pub food or wow, I really like tweezer food or wow, I want to be an event chef. And then Colleen does the same thing where she takes in her students. They spend a whole, you know, their whole semester in the bake shop. But at the end of the semester, they have to actually do a menu item dessert that they have to create and run for the, that week. So they get to create. Uh, you know, we make sure that they create, create, create. And then at the end of the semester, we also ask them, you know, the stuff they're creating, would they have been able to do that before they got here? And so that's just one aspect. We have interns. We're always hiring. I'm actually looking for a sous chef. If there's any young up and comers that want to be a sous chef, we're looking for that too. And you can reach me at Andy at Newport Vineyards. You can find me on the social media, you know, Chef Andy Tex at Instagram or Andy Texar on Facebook. Um, I'm not really a Snapchat guy. I'm a little bit old, I think, for that. I don't really get it. <laughs> neither, neither, neither am I. Neither yeah, am I. neither. My kids have it, and yeah, and and I think I have a Twitter, but I don't really. I, I use it now because of my son's football. But other than that, it's yeah, and, you know. But we're always looking. I'm always at the school. I'm always at the career fairs. Uh, we usually always have you know have a good turnout from the career fairs. We'll be there. I think there's one coming up soon. Yeah, um, next week. Next week, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so we'll be so, there. Yeah, and, you know, students can always reach out. They can always come in and eat, ask for me, you know, uh, reach out. We're, we're always looking for stages. Even cooks from other places, they want to come hang out with us for a day and, you know, see what we're doing here. We're always, you know, I love talking about what I do. I love what I do. I love showing what I do here. The more people that know about it, the better. And the more cooks I have come through my kitchens, 
you know, even when we take a salty, you know, banger line cook that, you know, is just, you know, doesn't want to do this. This isn't his life. It's just his job. And they may only spend a couple months with us. I like to think that maybe we're their little flower patch in their life, you know, that we're the good part. You know, they can go back and say, well, I remember when I was in that kitchen, they made this, this and this. And then when I get the kids that stay with me for a while and I convince them that this is the way to cook, hopefully they'll go off and open their own place or be a chef of their own team and then they'll spread it. And then maybe we can change the game a little bit. You know, Cisco's on a strike right now and. I'm not going to lie. That's not a bad thing. You know, I mean, I know we all have to get our grocery items, but we can also do away with a lot of our process stuff. And, and, uh, you know, that sort of, you know, product that comes in. And I think, you know, more, if I can teach these kids more about farm driven food and, you know, sourcing locally and seasonally, uh, it's going to keep a lot of farm families happy. It's going to, you know, be better for the, the whole world. One of the coolest, I got to tell you guys this before we go, because of the pandemic, uh, cooking this way has made me bulletproof with the supply chain when it comes to ingredients. Everybody was, you know, all we heard of supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. I never, ever had a supply chain issue with any of my ingredients. Because you were local. Because we were local, because my farmers were like, we got the seed, we'll plant you what we need. We can get you the chicks. We'll grow the chickens. Everything you know, we talk about everything in January. And we plan out the year, and so I never I felt a supply chain issue with paper goods and chemicals. Other than that, you know, chicken, chicken wings, burger, everything. Oh, when the prices went through the roof, my farmers were like, "You're already paying us. It, it, nothing's changing for us. When our costs change, it'll change for you." And Realistically, none of my prices have changed as far as ingredients besides the commodity items from, you know, oil and flour and friolated oil and stuff like that. But like all my fresh ingredients had none of it. We didn't feel any of it. And that was a huge learning moment, you know, of, wow, we're really doing this and it's working. Look at it. It's working. The pandemic hit and it works. You know, I had farmers begging me to take ingredients because they didn't have anyone to sell to, you know, and it's just, it's, it's a really unique property. It's a unique restaurant where you're getting all the food you normally recognize, but we're doing it, you know, hundred percent our way. Uh, you know, whether it's a Caesar salad, people are like, Oh, I got a Caesar salad. They, they have no idea the work that went into that Caesar salad from growing the lettuce to making the focaccia to, growing the garlic for the croutons or the dressing, you know, it's just at the end of the day, it's just a Caesar salad. And I think chef too, you do the same thing in your pastry department. So I know we're talking a lot about culinary, but even for any pastry students who are looking for the same experience, they'll get the same experience with your pastry chef, who is a JWU graduate. So Colleen, I know you referenced her earlier, but I know that she's doing all of those same things on her side too, which is just amazing. Just amazing. Oh, she's even, she's probably even crazier than I am. I created a monster <laughs> with her. She, our sourdough is all from our wild yeast off our grapes. Like she, That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. She, her first, I mean, she was 21 years old and she came here and she, the first thing she did at grape harvest was pulled a bunch of grapes and started a sourdough starter that she's been feeding for the last six years. 
yeah, she she pushes it really far because a lot of her ingredients, like a jelly donut for her is a ton of work because she's got to make the jelly. You know, it's not, you know, getting a bucket of bacon joy or, a, you know, like she she makes amazing product and her students come out. Like one of her students is probably going to come back and, you know, be a lead baker here. Uh, this girl, Megan Sullivan, who is now in Italy training and going to come back and because they do, they get the same experience and we force savory on. It's not just sweet baking. We do a lot of savory baking. Um, and, you know, Colleen imparts a lot of, you know, savory techniques into her baking, you know, just from working for me, because I taught her, I said, if you're going to be the pastry chef here, you got to know that I was a pastry chef and now I'm savory, like Colleen butchered a pig. Like I said, if you're going to be in this kitchen. It's a good skill to have. It's it. Right. You, you mentioned actually, one of the first things you said in this pod was that you, you needed to get out and work with your hands and you learned how to fix stuff. And, and in my head, the whole time I'm thinking, yeah, that's a basic life skill, but so is cooking and learning how to break down a chicken or how to feed yourself, even just basic stuff. If you're not a chef, I think like cooking is a basic life skill at the very bare minimum. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's a life skill that we all like when the, you know, when pandemic hit, I had a little bit of like, Oh my gosh moment when I realized that we have the only trade that we're born with an inherent ability to do. Like we know how to feed ourselves, whether it's eating out of a dumpster or cooking the way we cook. We subconsciously can figure out how to feed ourselves. So we don't, the world doesn't need us, but we need to. So that's why it's so important that we do it the way we do. And teaching people to do it. I think every, you know, I mean, how, how many times have we all said everybody should work in a restaurant because it would just make the world so much better. Yeah. <laughs> they would finally get it right. <laughs> they would get it. Yeah. It's that same, those skills, those life skills, you know, that, you know, Colleen, when she came on, you know, for the bake shop was I, one time I said to her, I'm like, you need to know how to do this because you cook with this lard. So we're going to break this pig down. And I put a half a pig on the table and walked her through the whole thing. And she did, I have pictures of her, like with the knife, taking it apart and, you know, and she did it. And now she passes all that on to her students. You know, she, if there's baking and pastry students out there that want to really, you know, get uh, quite the experience, they should definitely come and work with her. Always the teacher, chef. And I, 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 I know from all the students that I personally know that have come through your program, it is by far one of the best internship sites that they can do. And it's local. So if you don't want to travel far, now that there's housing, it's like a no-brainer even more than it was before. So if you're I listening totally agree. and you want uh, you know, to connect with Chef Andy, you know, you, you know his social, you know where to find him. You can connect with Jamie and I and we'll put you in touch. It, it, it could be a great launching point to something great for their future and for your future. So listen up. And if you want to be interested, reach out. Chef, I cannot thank you. Uh, we cannot thank you enough for the time you spent. I know you're a busy guy. It sounds like you're getting back to opening like six more restaurants. So um, <laughs> thank you again. And you know, we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It is such a great opportunity to speak to you both. Thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. 
We also want to thank our friend Matt Burns for providing all the music for the Culinary Now podcast. If you like today's episode, leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Your positive feedback helps us reach more listeners. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button to receive updates on new episodes from all our projects. If you'd like to reach out to the team at Culinary Now, please shoot us an email at culinarynowpodcast at gmail.com or connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Culinary Now Podcast. We'll talk to you soon. And we out.